but we are going to move in to our sermon portion. In the last couple of weeks, what we've been doing together is going through the Psalms of Ascent. Um, this was kind of our way of moving out of 21 days of prayer, and we've been centering our time around this idea of what it means to have uh, something that, if we were to title the sermon series, we didn't do that, but if we were going to, we could have titled it like Songs for the Journey, a playlist for the road, or something catchy and clever like that. Or we could borrow from Eugene Peterson and his book that we've been using to help kind of uh, understand and study these psalms together, and it's a long obedience in the same direction. Um, and that's actually, interestingly enough, a phrase he borrows from an ardent atheist in Nietzsche. And so it, it's a phrase that he uses. And what he's actually arguing uh, when he's arguing against Christianity is he says that in heaven and in earth, if there is anything that we should be doing, Nietzsche says that we should be doing this thing where it is a long obedience in the same direction. And it is that long kind of sustained thing that gives meaning to life. I think it's an astute observation of what the spiritual life should be from someone that they themselves would not find them a part of it. But I think he's saying something there. And it matters. It matters that we would find ourselves and be given to something that has meaning and value. It's, our, it's giving ourselves to this thing that happens over the course of a lifetime. And the Psalms and the book of Psalms is something that allows us to pray and to worship and to do these things, these practices, these rhythms that we go through. So we're going to do this the, for two more Sundays, this morning and next week, and then we're going to move into our time of Lent. And I say that to just sort of set up our one announcement that actually kind of matters of sorts, and that is that we're having an Ash Wednesday service in this space. Look at that, we made a slide. We're coming up in the world. Guys, check those graphics out. That's, <laughs> if anybody's got a marketing gig and they want to hire me, like, I'll really catch on Instagram. Like, could you imagine just scrolling through your feed and seeing that? Like, it'd be perfect. Anyways, Wednesday, March 2nd, 5.30 p.m., we're going to be up here in this space, and we're going to worship together. And this time is a little different. It's not like a normal worship service, but there will be songs. We'll pray together. We'll read some scripture uh, and we'll have a moment to sort of reflect as we start into our Lenten journey together and we go through the season of Lent. If that's unfamiliar to you, we're going to talk a whole bunch about it the next few weeks, and so that won't be that weird by the end of it. For those of you that have been around Mosaic for a long time, you kind of know what those rhythms and routines look for, like for us as we go through the church calendar each year. Uh, but it's a way to prepare our hearts for Easter and the celebration, and then we stay in Easter for five weeks. We celebrate the Easter season beyond just Resurrection Sunday in that one day. But we sort of say we're going to prepare our hearts and our minds to celebrate and to do that. And then what's interesting is we talk about the church calendars. That's something that's actually going on in the Psalms of Ascent, right? Like this is this, uh, these songs that they would sing on the way and on their journey to these feast seasons where they would go and spend several days in Jerusalem worshiping and praying, and celebrating, and we want to do that with our hearts and our minds, and so that's what we do in the season of Lent. We'll talk more about that. There's uh, resources online that we post each year, and kind of recycle some of those, and we'll update and post new things, but one of the things we want to encourage you in as we enter into Lent is to take seriously what it would look like to fast during this season, and at Mosaic, when we talk about fasting, we do sort of define that as um, not eating food, and then we also encourage you to sustain or abstain, is what I should say there, abstain from certain things. And so that may be social media or a certain type of food, 
Um, but we encourage a mix of both. And so pray and take that serious of what that means to bring those disciplines and those practices. And we will invite you to corporately do that to, with us together as we do every year uh, as a church and as a, uh, as a body of believers. We fast together from Thursday night after dinner until Friday at 3 for all six weeks of Lent. And what that is, is that's the season or the time that we mark uh, Jesus on the cross. It's from Thursday evening till Friday at 3. And so together, corporately, we'll be fasting, staff, leadership, and we invite you into that. So continue to pray. If you have questions about that, talk about that. We don't want to just be like, hey, do that, and then be like, wait, what's fasting? Why am I doing this? Um, we have a series online if you want more questions, or if you have more questions, you can listen to, uh, we did a series a few years ago on fasting, and I would encourage you to listen to that if, if you're uh, so inclined to learn more. But that's kind of it for our announcements. Oh, I will tag this. If you are in children's ministry, uh, if you volunteered, if you're a parent, um, especially, especially if you are a parent of the kids ages three to five, or you teach, uh, if you've volunteered in that classroom, um, or that next age up, our primary age, which goes to like through second grade, I believe it's kindergarten, first and second. If you have kids in either of those two classes, um, or you regularly volunteer in either of those two classes, or you want to, or you just want to volunteer in ch children's ministry in general, but specifically those two classes will find it very helpful. We're going to do like a 20-minute, 15-minute little training thing, kind of talk through some of the curriculum, what's changed as we've added this fourth class as our children's ministry grows, and so that'll be right after church in the back. Anna, my lovely wife, will be uh, running that and kind of uh, doing the, all of that. So you know it'll be good. Um, if you want to be a part of that or if you have questions about children's ministry or if you've never volunteered and you don't have kids and you're like, what's that even look like? Um, come to that. That'll be a really great quick 15-minute introduce you to our curriculum, what we do, all of that. So let's go back to what we're doing this morning in our series and in our text. If you would, stand with me as we read Psalm 127 this morning. We stand as a way, as I talked about at the beginning, uh, as an embodiment of what we're doing to posture ourselves of hearing from and understanding this as a text that is different um, than what we maybe consume again and again on our phones and through all the different access we have to content uh, as a nice good buzzword in the 21st century. But Hear these words from the psalmist. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can take a seat. Thank you. Toiling in vain, laboring in vain, wrestling with the things that we find ourselves with, uh, I think is something that is very common, uh, something that we're all quite familiar with in the human nature. Being human, in some sense, is to wrestle with futility. A whole manner of ways that we feel this deep in our bones, right? We can feel it in relationships, our attempt to... Uh, 
develop deep friendships and bonds with people. We feel it in our futility. If you've come from uh, uh, troubled or broken homes, difficult relationships with family, you feel the way that you can toil in vain. You try and you try and you try again, and yet it seems like nothing ever actually gets better. We're in the perfect season of uh, the year and and into February where if you are like me, you toil in vain in setting new habits. You're convinced that you can teach yourself to do things differently this year. This year is the year you will not waste all that time and do everything uh, 10 minutes before it's due, right? You try to establish new patterns and rhythms to live a healthier life and you feel like you're toiling and wrestling in vain. Maybe it's health. As you get older, as you try to exercise more, as you try to turn a new leaf in life, whatever it might be, we get this. We know this experience of what it is to find ourselves doing something over and over again, to give ourselves to it completely and wholly, and yet we find ourselves consistently frustrated. Why can't I change? Why can't it be different? To toil in vain is to be human in a lot of ways. And it appears and it manifests itself differently in all of our lives, but none of us are exempt from toiling and wrestling in what can feel like futility, frustration, that we get to again and again. And so in many ways, this psalm, Psalm 127, is a psalm on the everyday experience of being human. It's a psalm that is laying before us what it means to go through the human life, to experience the human Remember, I had a, someone that was very important in my life and kind of coming to faith, and that's, they would regularly say to me, welcome to the human condition, when I would find myself frustrated. How do I change this? How do I fix this? And they'd be like, welcome to the human condition. If you've been through therapy or counseling, one of the most kind of empowering moments is when you sit across from a counselor or a therapist, and they just kind of look at you and go, yeah, that's totally normal. And it's wildly frustrating in one sense, because you're like, wait, so you're telling me I can't just fix this tonight? This moment, this 45-minute session we've got going on here, I'm not going to be able to just fix it and change immediately. And yet, simultaneously, you you, you have that moment where you go, okay, that pain, that suffering, that struggle, I'm not crazy. Welcome to the human condition. This is what it is when we begin to pray. We come before the Lord. In some sense, the Lord is meeting us in our humanity, in our struggles, and our difficulties. Because I think what... We're seeing in Psalm 127 what the Lord would have us to see this morning is that the work, the struggle, the turmoil, what we go through, it matters. As a believer, as a Christian, what we would say is that it is not in vain. The struggles that we find ourselves, the difficulties that are placed before us, that there is something that matters. All will be redeemed. It is not all lost. There's beauty in the difficulties, the struggle, because what the psalmist is saying is that the Lord is working with us. Even more so beyond just the everyday human experience, kind of 30,000 foot view. I think Psalm 127 is saying that work matters. God works. You working matters. Historically, there's kind of a couple of interpretations of Psalm 127. One is what I will call a more literal Uh, interpretation, and one is more of an an analogy, I guess. Um, You you would see it in in that they're going to want to take it, and it's going to apply it all to the spiritual life. This is our early church fathers 
Augustine, our dear friends that have been around for thousands of years. Um, a better word for it would be allegorical, not analogous. I was wanting to find the word allegorical. Uh, but that's the way they, they're going to interpret this, okay? So let's just think about this real briefly, uh, what we're doing here. And if we kind of take this side step, I think this is a helpful way of how we can also learn to read Scripture better. Okay, so when I, when I say literal interpretation of 127 and what we're talking about in terms of this being a psalm about work and toil and struggle, what I'm saying is we have to, in some sense, to understand what Psalm 127 is saying about these things, is we have to put ourselves in a specific place and period of time of what the hearers that would have been singing this in the ancient Near East would have been like thinking when they sang and said these words. And that would have been about a very specific city of Jerusalem that they were going to, a very specific journey that they were toiling and struggling along through, and that there were some very specific things that would have been called to mind. When they're talking about defending the city and building it, they're thinking about Jerusalem. The people of the Bible Project say this, when you think about reading anything from the Old or New Testament, they call it uh, being a good traveler. When you go into a new place, you learn the customs, you, le you learn the way things are done, especially if you're going to spend a longer time in a foreign country, if you've ever done this, you have to kind of pick up on habits, routines, rhythms that are different than what maybe was normalized in where you're from. And this even happens geographically in the United States. I learned very quickly when I moved from Indiana to Birmingham that if I wanted to make everyone really, really awkward around me, just ask them how much they pay in rent. Like everybody immediately froze. And I just thought that was like a cavalier question. Didn't think anything of it. Well, how much is your rent? We're all moved. We all moved here. I'm trying to find a good apartment. Am I getting like taken to task here? Ask somebody how much money they make. I learned that that was, or even worse, the one that Anna used to always fuss at me for. I learned that you are not supposed to walk across someone's front yard. Like, you don't just walk through the grass. You, you take the annoying sidewalk that adds an extra 100 steps, that weaves and winds, that you can't just walk across the grass. Where I'm from, you just walked across the quickest way to A to B. And not, not in Birmingham. You didn't do that. That was not, and I was like, what are you doing? You can't just walk through their grass and knock on their door. And I'm like, why not? They're, we're friends. I'm going to walk in their yard. You learn that there's a different way of doing things. And when we read scripture, we have to be good travelers, okay? We have to understand the space and the place that these hearers would have been in. And part of what we have to do to understand a text like this is we have to import ourselves back to where they were and understand it. Hear me out on this, okay? Here at Mosaic, we believe firmly in a good spiritual practice called Lectio Divina. It's a fancy word for basically a way of reading scripture that you open it up and you allow the Lord in a 10 to 15 minute moment, you maybe read a psalm, maybe a gospel, and you allow one verse to kind of stick out to you and you say that speaks to you, that, that moves you, that propels you towards something. We believe in that. Let me give you an example of this. Recently I was listening to someone talk about an Old Testament passage and I was kind of struggling with my parenting and beating myself up, uh, trying to find a way forward. I, I get too anxious. I get too frustrated with my boys too quickly. They're just being two and four, which is maddening. 
but I'm like, okay, I need to let them be two and four a lot of times. I get very angry. And Jesus, or not Jesus, God, Yahweh, is talking in this passage in the Old Testament of his frustration with the Old Testament people of God, the Jewish people. And he said he chose not to take his anger out on his people. And immediately I was just like, oh, wait. He got angry. He was frustrated, but he chose not to take it. I can do that as a parent. I can just choose what? Like, I can just choose not to get angry? Or, or wait, no, even better, I can, it's okay that I'm angry. I can choose not to take that anger out on my children. And I began praying, Lord, help me to, like, not do that. Help me be able to have the strength, the patience, the ability in those moments that the anger be natural. But in that moment, I can choose not to take that anger out on my boys because I don't want them to know me in that kind of way, to be defined by that that I be a parent or a father that chooses to take my anger out on my children. Let me be more like you, God. Okay, so here's the point of all of this, right? That is a Lectio Divina moment. I hear the scripture, the Lord speaks to me. That is not the point of that passage. The point of that passage is not to make you a better parent. It is not about the morality and the ethics of fatherhood. That is not the point of that passage. But it spoke to me in the moment, and I think that the Lord was happy that it spoke to me in that moment. When, when we're wrestling with texts like this, when we're looking at things, we have to be careful. And I say all that to say because what is really tempting in a passage like Psalm 127, beyond just the allegorical implications, which we will get to, is that what's really tempting is to make this passage about one of two things. Demanding that this passage be about how good Christians pull themselves up by the bootstraps and that the Lord helps those that help themselves, Right? Like, you got to work, if you work hard, if you really try, if you give yourself over, then the Lord will honor that. Because if you just do it on your own, then the Lord's not in it, right? Like, we can make this about work and how work is this thing that we have to do. Or we can sort of become Buddhist and we can be like, well, I don't have to do anything. And the Lord will just kind of do it. And we sit and we do nothing. And it's about nothingness and emptiness. You know me well enough to know that I've set up the point that it's a tension of the two, right? I'll be honest. I tend to uh, sort of lean more towards the nothingness side. It's a good excuse for me to uh, not have to save money and, and do other things because I'm like the lilies of the field, the birds of the air. They didn't save anything up and the Lord provides for them. So like, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Like 401k, who cares, you know, like spend my money now. I don't know what tomorrow brings. It's got enough worries for itself. I'm going to worry about today. And today I'm worried about getting that food at the restaurant that I shouldn't be spending my money on. Right. So that's like my tendency. And it's a pushback to a generation I was raised in or a culture I was raised in where Christianity was about like, oh, if you don't work hard, then you don't deserve to be helped. And we can take a passage like Psalm 127 and we can twist it into talking about work in such a way that we make it one or the other. Like either as a Christian, this, is, this has been going on for centuries, okay, since the church started. If you want to be a New Testament church, we talk about that a lot in Christianity, oh, we want to go back and be a New Testament church. We want to be like the New Testament church. Okay, the New Testament church wrestled with this. Paul's writing letters in the New Testament that are saying like, hey, you have to work. You have to do something. You have to participate. You can't just sit back and do nothing and expect God to provide everything for you. And he's also writing to them and saying, hey, guess what? You cannot work so much that you will gain your salvation. It's a tension of the two. And so when we look at this, we have to think about what they're talking about. They're talking about real work. 
They're talking about a real journey, a real traveling moment. And I think it would have been really easy for them to get to Jerusalem and to have a, an impactful spiritual moment and to look around and to think, look at what we have created. Look at what we've done. Look at Jerusalem, how it's grown. Look at the, the gates. We have, we have guards at the gate. Our city's become so, like it's so much. Obviously, God's favor is on our nation. Our nation is the best. We're better than everybody else's because of the hard work we've done. And God will continue to bless us and favor us because of the work that we do, because we are such righteous people and we participate in our festivals and our feasts. Look at all that has come from us. I think they would have been tempted to do that, to look around at the hard work that had been done and to go, God's blessed us because of our hard work, because of our goodness, our righteousness. I think I'm really tempted sometimes to get frustrated with God and to have these same thoughts myself. Look at my fasting. I practice Sabbath. I'm a good Christian. God bless my work. I come to church on Sundays early because I'm a pastor. Like, bless my work, God. Like, I'm so righteous. I'm so good. Many of you may be tempted to do the same thing, or you may find yourself also on the other end. Well, none of it matters. We give ourselves to futility, which is really just a cover-up for cynicism and jadedness, burnout, and it doesn't actually make us be honest about what we're feeling towards the church and worship moments. So they're on this journey, and they're talking about the things that they've done. Jerusalem is where it is at. It's growing. It's established, and they're going to this place, and they're tempted to say, look at the work that we have done. It is so good. Bless us, Lord. Make us, make us better than the nations around us. What Augustine and all of the church fathers of 2,000 years ago wanted to do is they wanted to say, well, that was for them, but now this is clearly talking about the church and what's going on in the church. And this Jerusalem is not Jerusalem, but it is us here now. This is what we're talking about. God protects it. He guards it. And this is what I want to say in these moments is when you look at something like that, the allegorical interpretation can also be true, but it has to be true coming out of the literal, like kind of what was happening initially in Psalm 127. So as you read this and you understand it, what is okay to say is like, yeah, that is true of the church. We do need to understand that it is God that builds this thing. It is he who goes before us and behind us. We've got to put ourselves in Psalm 127 and allow us to hear from what they're trying to say. And I think that when we do that, I make all of this a big point to get to this, is that this is about everyday mundane life experience. When you slide too quickly into the allegorical interpretation, I think it is easy to over-spiritualize a passage like Psalm 127, to read it, to hear it, and to move on, and to miss that what's insanely profound about it is that God cares about your day-in, day-out struggles of being human. He longs to be near to you and to speak to you, to be a part of your toils, to be a part of your futility, your frustrations, and your difficulties. He wants to meet you in that space, and he wants to be with you in it. And it is a tension of understanding that you are to give yourself to what the Lord has placed before you, and in that, he will do the work before and behind you. And yet, you are invited into and asked to participate in that work that he's clearing out for you. 
So as you're reading this, you're in Psalm 127. If you were anything like me, I kept reading it, reading about the building, the city, the guards, the watchmen, all of this. And then it almost feels like it's a second psalm. Like we just switched. Okay, we're talking about cities. And now we're talking about blessed is a man whose quiver is full of many arrows. And you're kind of like, wait, what? Like what's happening here? And it took me reading several commentaries to really kind of begin to understand how these two things are connected together. What he's doing, the psalmist writing this, which is most likely probably Solomon, if it's wisdom literature, um, we're, we're in this, and it's kind of, so if it feels like Ecclesiastes and things like this, that's normal. But what he's doing is he's saying, okay, so basically, if you're confused, let me show you how this works. And he jumps to something like children. Eugene Peterson talks about it. He says that you don't actually work to make children. You participate in a moment of love and unity with someone and children are the product. So it is not that you were removed. It does take participation. It takes two people willing to do something for children to be created, right? But yet you're not working in that moment. You're not toiling and laboring to create children. When your children are growing, Jameson started asking a lot of questions. We've had a lot of uh, wonderful, beautiful babies born in our community over the last year. And Jameson's about to turn five in June. And so he's starting to put things together. And he's asking, where does this baby come from? And I remember sitting there. And he asked Anna, like, hey, so like, did, did you like... Did you like tell me to grow or did like, I just do it? And he was like, did you like have to do things? Like, cause he's watched us grow plants and he's watched us like feed things around the house. He's like, so did you like, did you have to do anything or did I just like grow inside of you? And then the next logical question, this was my favorite. This is out of the mouth of babes. He's like, so like, how did like, so did you, did you like, did you tell your body to, to feed me or like, did the milk just come by itself? He, like, he was very confused by it. Like He doesn't understand. And I thought that's a great analogy of what's going on. Anna was a part of that. She was participating in it. She, she had a role to play, but it happened. She did not toil or labor over him growing inside of her. And here's the thing. We understand this on the really difficult and painful side of this too. For those that have experienced loss in that moment or inability to become pregnant, you understand that it is not a critique or a commentary on you as a human being. It is not because you didn't work hard enough or aren't good enough. It's just something that happens in and through you, and you are a participant in it, and you long for it, and you desire it. But there is no level of toiling and labor that will allow that to happen. Like, there's a mystery to what's going on. As much science as we know and understand, there's something that is taking place in the body, right? That, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Explain it. We, we get it. Like, that's how gravity works or whatever it is. Like, these scientific moments. But, like, also, like, how? Like, why? why? Why does it work for some people and not for others? Why does it happen for some people when they don't want it to and it doesn't for others when it's all they've longed for? There's a participation in God's mystery and his miraculous work in people's lives that is happening here. So if you read this passage and your heart is heavy with conviction or pain because of grief that you have suffered in these things, you long for children, hear me say, like, it is not your fault. 
you are not broken. You didn't, you didn't do something wrong. Like There's this thing where it's like no matter of toiling or, or work can make this thing happen. It, like There's a mystery to it. There's some science and some structure to it that can right? but like there's a mystery to what's going on. And so he's saying, this is what it's like to participate in the work of God in your life. You need to be there. You need to be present. You need to be a, a participating and willing uh, a member of this work that is happening. And yet simultaneously, it is God that will do the work. That's why he jumps to children. And he talks about the blessing that comes from children regardless of sort of what you do. Anna's mom told us this right when we first started having kids. She's like, the number one thing you have to remember, your failures are not, or their failures are not your failures and their successes are not your successes. They are their own person and you are yours. Like there's this thing that happens when you raise children that they become a blessing to you that extends beyond like how, what you do. It's the Lord's work. It's a natural thing that kind of happens. It's the Lord's guiding. It's his leading. It's his participation in life. And so the psalmist is inviting us to see our spiritual lives and the work of our day in, day out, routine, ordinary functions as a way of understanding that we participate in the goodness and the life of the kingdom, but it is God's mysterious and wondrous love that captivates us and pulls us into something that we can never achieve on our own. No matter of toil, no level of labor will ever allow us to achieve the peace and the joy and the goodness that the gospel of Jesus Christ is willing to offer to us. That is the work of the Lord and his alone. And what he's inviting us into is to participate in that work of the kingdom. So we are not like the lilies that get to just magically grow and be all beautiful despite the fact that that would be a great justification for me buying new sneakers this weekend. We are not the ravens that just get everything provided to us. There is a participation because of what is given to us as we bear the image of God as being co-creators and laborers in the kingdom with him. This is one of the things that captivated me by Christianity. It has been something that I've always found beautiful and mysterious and also, if I'm quite honest at times, very frustrated by. Beginning of time, God has chose to work amongst his creation in and through his creation. It is the people of God that he has chosen to reveal himself through. And so what makes that really frustrating is that we get it really wrong sometimes. We miss the mark. And we have to sit in conversations. I don't know how many conversations you've been in lately, but I have been in a lot, it feels like, over the last two years, that is someone sitting across from me, earnest, longing and desiring, and, and feeling that thing inside of them that knows there is more. And they ask the question to me, Jonathan, you're a Christian. You're a pastor. How could a Christian, and then they lay out X. Like, how could they not Y, Right? And so we're frustrated by, it. like, God, what? and that's, but at the same time, it's the beauty of it. I get to look at him, and I get to say, like, that's the beauty of who God is, though. He doesn't just enter into the world and decide to just do all this stuff on his own. He invites us in to participate and to work in us. But here's the other great thing about that, okay? Is even when you screw up, like, even when you fail, like, God's kingdom will prevail. You, you can't change Jesus' resurrection, 
You can't change his willingness and his desire to go to the ends of the earth to save that one lost sheep. But you can find yourself with the joyous opportunity to participate and to co-labor alongside of him in that work of reaching those that need to be reached. You cannot fix poverty. You cannot change the system by yourself tomorrow. But you can join in alongside of God of loving and caring for the most vulnerable and marginalized in our society. You get to participate in this work with him and be a part of the work of the kingdom. And he's inviting you to it. And what I think this psalm is trying to get us to see is that we do that in our everyday, ordinary lives. As we give ourselves in a different kind of way, as we participate in the kingdom and in the life around us in a different kind of way, we get to participate in this work of the kingdom day in and day out by being a really great student or a terrible student. I was a terrible student, but by being present and caring in this kind of way, by being a friend, by loving and caring for those that are the least among us, by being a sibling or a spouse or a significant other that is willing to, to give of themselves in this kind of way that Christ gave of himself to invite people into the peace and the joy and the hope of the kingdom of God. To allow them to see that there is more, there's something better, truer, greater than the experiences that we often find. And he takes that and he says, nothing is wasted in your life. Your pains, your sufferings, your, your wins, your losses, what feels like mundane kind of nothingness, why am I doing this? It's this again, another poopy diaper, another dog that has escaped from its crate and destroyed a bed cover, right? Like whatever, like in every moment of your life, the Lord takes none of it and he promises that he, he, he doesn't allow any of it to be wasted. He takes all of it. He takes all of your life, all of your being and all of your existence. And he says, I'm going to bring that in and I'm going to use it to participate in the work of the kingdom of God. Because that's who God is. He longs and he cares to be near and in and each of one of us. And it's a mysterious, wild, full, and joyous life that we are being invited to participate in. If the band comes back up, we'll move to the moment of communion that we take each and every Sunday. And in this moment, there's uh, maybe no greater example of what it means to get to do this, what it looks like to participate in the work and the action of the kingdom and yet know that it is Christ that has gone before and behind us. As the band plays and as they sing the next song, what you will be invited into in this moment is to come and to take a piece of the bread and the cup gluten-free on this side, COVID-compliant communion if um, you still feel more comfortable taking that way. And you get to receive these elements, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, broken for you, poured out for you, this work that has already been done, but you get the free opportunity to participate in that work. And we believe that this is more than just a symbol or an act that is happening here, but in this moment, somehow what you are taking and ingesting inside of you actually becomes Christ within you. And in this moment, the, the body and the blood of Christ changes who you are. 
And in that moment, what happens is it begins to change the way you function and operate, and it turns your life right side up, and the futilities and the struggles, they, they are still there, they do not cease to exist. What you begin to see is that God is working with and alongside of you. And you actually then get to become the body of Christ for the wanting and waiting world around us. You become a harbinger of peace, of love, of kindness to the world around us. You become co-laborers in this kingdom as this thing transforms you. So we invite you, if you long and participate to be a part of the kingdom, the body of Christ, Know that there is no amount of work or righteousness that you can summon up to make you more or less worthy of coming to the table. It is in this moment that it is given freely to you, but you are asked to participate, to take on the works, to apprentice yourself under Jesus in these moments and to allow your life in the way you think and operate and function to begin to be shaped and formed by him and to move closer towards what Christ is offering for your life. So in this moment, come and participate and freely receive the gifts of God for the people of God and allow it to transform you and to change in such a way that you become a part of that work of the kingdom. So they play, come, take the elements, hold on to them, go back to your seats. And I'll come up and I'll lead us in the taking of the elements together as a community. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness. We ask, Holy Spirit, in this moment that you would do this work. Without you, we know we cannot. God, we ask that we'd have the strength, the perseverance, the patience to push through these moments, to understand that you are taking all things and making them good. That nothing in this life is wasted, no opportunity, no moment is out of your sight, is out of your hand. And so help us, Father, to participate in the work of the kingdom that you've invited us into. Allow us to be transformed into the likeness more and more of your image, God. Let us come and receive these elements and be glorified and honored by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.